Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Welcome this morning. We're so glad you're joining with us at uh, All Nations Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Welcome to those of you in North Florida, South Georgia, as well as those around the world and across the nation that have joined to worship the King of Kings with us today. May God bless you richly, and may you leave uh, this service encouraged and inspired. So, for the first time I've ever said this in my life, this would be a good time to go refill your coffee cup, uh, get another iced tea, and uh, settle in and get ready for the Word of God today. While you're doing that, turn to Mark chapter 11 with me. We'll get to our text in just a couple of moments. We're going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll move through the rest of it as we move through the message today. This morning, I want to talk to you about what does Palm Sunday really mean? Is there something deeper than we've seen before, something more significant that perhaps we have missed or passed over? It kind of reminds me of the story of the little four-year-old boy who went to Sunday school on Palm Sunday. After Sunday school, he came home with that palm frond in his hand, and his parents always asked him, what did you learn in Sunday school? And when he responded, I learned we don't stick each other in the eye. They realized he had missed the point of Palm Sunday. So we need to understand that often we read Scripture, see Scripture, but we may miss what God is really saying. So let's look at verses 1 through 3, and then we'll move through our text a little later on. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage at Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. Father, we pray this morning that your anointing, your power, your presence would flow through your word, that in people's living rooms and family rooms and cars right now, your presence would infiltrate them and flow through them. Let this be a day of rejoicing, a day of victory for the church of the living God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to take a few minutes and paint a backdrop from Scripture about what happened this day in Jerusalem, the day that we call Palm Sunday, the event that we call the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. I believe for us to really understand and have a full grasp of what the Scripture is teaching us and what God is doing in this event, we need to have some biblical background and understand the prophecies surrounding this day. I believe there's some truths here that we often overlook, that we simply skim over, and as a result, we miss what's really happening in the kingdom of God. So let me back up a little bit, actually a couple thousand years, and take you to the reign of King David. King David was old in age. He knew that his time of ruling as king of Israel was coming to a close. He had spent the first half of his life building this kingdom, and the last half of his life kind to keep this kingdom together. And God had promised David that as long as your descendants follow me, the living and the true God, the throne will never be lost to your household. So when it was time for David to step away and choose a successor, he chose his son Solomon. Now Solomon was not his firstborn son as the tradition would have typically been. His firstborn son, you'll remember Absalom, had actually tried to overthrow David and it died as a result. But it was the son that David chose to anoint as the future king of Israel. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 1, 
where it says that David said to Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet that they were to take Solomon, put him on his donkey, and take him to Gihon, and there he was to be anointed as the new king over all of Israel. And listen to what it says directly. Put him on my, my mule and take him there. Blow the ram's horn and say, long live King Solomon. Follow him back here when he comes to sit on my throne. He'll be king in place of me. Solomon became king of Israel, following David, riding on David's donkey. I want you to hold on to that image. Keep it in your mind that the first king to succeed David was dead so riding on a donkey back into Jerusalem. About 150 years then after Solomon's death, the kingdoms have divided again into a northern kingdom of Israel, a southern king of Judah. King Ahab became king of Israel, one of the most wicked men ever to rule over God's people. His wife Jezebel was probably worse than he was. They were both idolaters, Baal worshipers. They were systematically destroying the kingdom of God and the people of God. They were killing the prophets of God and those who worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This led to that famous showdown that we've all heard about between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the true prophet of God, where he challenged them whose God was real would answer by fire. And you know that story. You know that Elijah won that battle, he prevailed, and the prophets of Baal were all killed that day. But Ahab and Jezebel were not out of the picture. They were still extremely dangerous. They wanted still to kill every man or woman of God. And so as a result, God told the prophet Elisha, take one of your understudies, one of the prophets that are staying with you, and tell him to go down to Ramoth-Gilead and tell him to find Jehu, who is one of the generals in the army, and anoint him to be the king over Israel. So I want to read it to you directly so you get a sense of what is happening. When this prophet found Jehu, he said, I have something to tell you. Which one of us, he answered, speaking of Jehu, you general. Jehu got up and went into the house, and the prophet poured olive oil on his head and told him, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I have anointed you king of the Lord's people, king of Israel. You will destroy the family of your master Ahab. Then he opened the door and left. Jehu came out to his master's officials. One of them asked, is everything all right? Why did this lunatic come to you? Jehu answered and said, well, you know the man and the kind of things he says. And they said, that's not an answer. Tell us what he said. So Jehu replied, we talked for a while. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you king of Israel. Now listen to this next phrase. This is where it gets real important and critical. Then each one of them immediately took off his coat, laid it on the stairs below him. They blew a ram's horn and said, Jehu is king. Now grab that image and keep it in your mind. Maybe you want to jot a note. First Solomon came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now Jehu is anointed king, and as a result, the people threw their clothes on the ground before him. Remember, Jehu was anointed to destroy the enemies of the Lord. God chose a king who would lift up his name, his standard, and his righteousness. And when that happened, the people threw their clothing on the ground before him. The enemy was still on the throne, but a new king had been chosen. And he was the king that would destroy the enemy and his entire dynasty. Now let's jump ahead a few more centuries. Both kingdoms had been destroyed. The kingdom of Judah no longer was. The kingdom of Israel no longer was. Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. 
Judah was conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And when the Persians conquered Babylon, they then allowed the Jewish exiles, you'll remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those that were carried away to come back to Jerusalem and to return home. And not long after their return to the region, a prophet arose in Judah by the name of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, this is what Zechariah writes regarding the king that is coming. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the house from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now listen to this. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare, I will restore double to you. Zechariah is prophesying the day when Jesus Christ would make that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he said, the king is coming who is just, who has salvation in his hand. He's coming riding on a donkey. He'll speak peace to the nations. He'll make a blood covenant with you, and he will set your prisoners free. The good news is, he said, you who have been prisoners of hope, continue to hope because that day is coming and he will restore to you. So grab this image. First, we have the image of Solomon riding on a donkey. Then we have the image of Jehu being coronated as the new king of Judah by people laying their garments on the ground in front of him. And now we see a king is going to come to Jerusalem, not riding on a war horse, as with his custom of victory parades, but riding on a young donkey, the symbol of humility. The king is a conquering king, but his conquest, his victories, are won through humility. And this new king, according to Zechariah, will set captives free through a covenant made by blood. Now jump ahead a few more centuries to 167 B.C. You'll see at that time Judah was under the control of Syria. There was a Syrian ruler by the name of Antichus who was absolutely out of his mind, and he decided that all Judeans should become good Greeks. So he went into the temple in Jerusalem. He set up a statue of the Greek god Zeus. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and desecrated all that was holy and and righteous to the Jewish people. When that happened, it triggered what we know through history as the Maccabean Revolt. Judas Maccabeus raised an army against the Syrians and literally went to war with them and conquered the city of Jerusalem. Through his conquest, he went back and purified the temple, rebuilt the altars of God, restored the lamps and the showbread and the presence of God into the temple, and then he appointed his brother Simon as the king and high priest of Jerusalem. In doing so, he returned Jerusalem to the worship for which it was intended to be. So notice this image with me as well. In the Maccabean Revolt, peace was established again in Jerusalem. Simon, the brother of Judas Maccabees, acted as both the high priest and the king in Jerusalem. So let's put all that together, and let's see what does all that tell us. First, David's immediate heir to the throne, Solomon, came to his coronation riding on a donkey. Second, when the Lord's people were being oppressed and killed by Ahab and Jezebel, 
The Lord chose a king that would destroy that evil dynasty. And when the people heard about it, they threw their garments on the ground before Jehu. Third, Zechariah said a king is coming to Jerusalem, not riding on a war horse, not riding a victory horse, but he's coming riding on a young donkey, a symbol of peace. And number four, when the Maccabees liberated the city of Jerusalem from foreigners, when they desecrated the temple and then they restored it and purified it, then the high priest and the king was returned to the holy sites and to the temple. Now take all these images that we've just talked about that are laced throughout Scripture and laced throughout history, and let's go to Mark chapter 11 one more time. Let's pick it up in verse 4 and read it together. Then they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. They untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their coats in the road. Others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now think with me for just a moment what we just read. The image we just read in Mark chapter 11 had been repeated again and again throughout Jewish history. Again and again, they had seen these signs and these symbols acted and reacted throughout scriptures. And every Jew in Jerusalem who knew the scriptures and knew their history understood what the scriptures meant. A king like Solomon was coming riding on a donkey. A king who would destroy the enemy of God's people was having coats thrown on the ground before him. A king humble yet mighty in power was about to establish peace and a covenant through his eternal blood. A king was coming to conquer the oppressors and rededicate the temple. <coughs> a king who would also be the high priest was coming to establish peace and be the mediator between God and man. Those are what the Jews were seeing that day, but in reality, what they thought was happening is really not what was going on. They missed what God was doing in this moment and in this event. Today marks that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem. But when we look back, we recognize his coronation would be at the hand of the Romans. He'd be crowned with thorns. He'd be beaten with a reed that was used to mock a king's scepter. His throne would be a cross. His people who cheer for him as king of Israel this day, in just a few days, would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And that's how this covenant of his blood would be established through his death, through his crucifixion. This is how peace would be established. This is how the oppressor would be conquered. This is how the enemy of God's people would be undone. This is how the king who reigns in wisdom would come and take the throne, for there is no other way. Can I challenge you to remember this statement? Matter of fact, you ought to write it down. I'll say it a couple of times. We must always remember that Jesus' kingdom comes through suffering and the cross. His kingdom always comes through suffering and the cross. You and I have to embrace the passage the Apostle Paul wrote so many years ago when he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto him even unto death. Oh, we like to talk about the great things and the power of the resurrection. 
We like to talk about the miracles and the wonder and the mighty power and presence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, but how we often reject the means to get us there. The means to get us there is the cross. The means to accomplish the power of God in our lives is the cross. For it's only in our dying that he can live in us. That's what's being pictured on this triumphant entry. The fact that Jesus was not coronated as king of the Jews by the Jews, but rather by the Romans. His throne was a cross. His crown was of thorns. He was beaten. He was abused. He was mocked. He was spit upon. Everything that seemed to make sense made no sense in that day and in that time. Why would a king subject himself to such treatment? Why wouldn't he simply call on the angels of heaven to come and knock out the enemy and give him the throne in one swept moment of time? The crowds in the street that day knew the Messianic prophecies. They knew their fulfillment, yet they missed it all. They didn't know that what was happening was really not what was going on. They wanted a king to come into Jerusalem and overthrow Rome. That's why they welcomed Jesus. They saw this as strictly a political event, a political action. They missed the spiritual implications of the kingdom of God. Folks, let me challenge you. There are too many times, even today, even right now, where we see God moving over the face of the earth, and all we see is a political or an economical or a social event, and we miss what's happening in the realms of the kingdom. It's time for the people of God to look deeper. It's time for the people of God to examine the signs of the time. It's time for the people of God to stop listening to the media and start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and see what the Lord is saying to you and I today. I believe the Lord is saying to us, as I said in this huge auditorium that has five people in it, I believe the Lord is saying to us, this isn't the church. This building isn't my church. I believe the Lord is saying the ecclesia, that group of people are scattered throughout the city, the nation, the world, and where they're at right now, they're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our perception, our image of what's happening and what's going on needs to change, and we need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Oh, folks, it's not a time for despair. I mean, when you think about it, those folks that day at, in Jerusalem, when they threw their garments on the ground before him, when they waved the palm branches over his head, when they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that wasn't a spiritual cry. Hosanna was not a cry for true salvation of the spirit and the soul. It was a political cry, a cry for deliver us from the Roman oppression. They missed what God was doing. They didn't understand that in the middle of that event, God was orchestrating things so that the Son of the living God could die for your sin and for mine, so he could bear the sins of the whole world, so he would be mocked and abused and spit upon and beaten, tor tortured and killed, so that you and I, pardon me, so that you and I would have hope for today and tomorrow. The Romans were looking for a Savior, but Jesus came as a sacrifice. What are you looking for today? When you tune into a Christian broadcast, what are you looking for today? When you see the events going on around you, what are you looking for today? What are you considering? What are you pulling into your spirit? What are you, <laughs> what are you allowing God to speak to you? 
You see, we need to understand this day in Jerusalem, so many thousands of years ago, when Jesus Christ walked down the streets of Jerusalem to the chants of the crowd, to the adulation of the masses, he did so knowing that in just a few days, those very people would turn their back on him. Those very people would despise him, reject him. Those very people would call for his death and his ultimate crucifixion. Matter of fact, they would go as far as to say, give us Barabbas. Give us a thief. Give us a murderer. And take this one, Jesus, because he isn't who we thought he was. He isn't who we hoped he would be. He isn't the one that we were counting on. And they missed what God was doing in that moment of time. In that moment of time, God was saying he is the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He may not come as you expect. He may not do what you want. But if you'll put your life in his hand, you'll never be the same. And he will lead you all the days of your life. What was happening is really not what was going on in that day in Jerusalem. So people didn't like him. They wanted a man of action. The people of Jerusalem wanted a man to lead an army and drive the Romans all the way back to Rome. But when they realized this king was not their king, when they realized their expectations were not going to be fulfilled, when they realized that what they had hoped for was not coming to pass, then they turned their back on him. They turned away from him. And he was just another disappointment, just another unfulfilled promise. That triumphant entry was opening people's eyes to what God was doing in the spiritual realm. But because they were blinded, because they didn't look deeper, because they didn't consider the kingdom of God and its ramifications, they left disappointed. And as a result, the triumphal entry, that Palm Sunday that we talk about, really was a place where unbridled expectations met with staggering defeat and disappointment for so many. Because they couldn't reconcile the fact that this man, this king, this miracle worker would not liberate them from Roman oppression and tyranny. And it caused a place in their spirit they could never get past. But let's look at it. Did, in fact, the events of that week establish a new kingdom? Oh, absolutely it did. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the enemies that faced mankind. He defeated hell, death, and the grave. He rose again on the third day and established the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women. The events of that week did shatter bondage. It did set captives free. Some of you watching can stand and say, yes, I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once was blind, but now I see. You can declare what the kingdom of God has done in you and through you. Did the kingdom of God actually enable people to see the power and the presence of God? Absolutely, it did. And it was this week, this week that we talk about. Tom, would you come back? This week that we talk about that allowed Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, to actually allow himself to be executed, to establish a blood covenant for the crimes of those who were his subjects. You see, Jesus died not because of his sins, but because of yours and mine. He died not so that he could be liberated from a body of sin, but so that you and I could be liberated and live with Jesus Christ forever and ever. This is the week, this is the day, that we celebrate the fact that a descendant of David entered Jerusalem on a donkey. People laid coats on the ground in front of him. 
They hailed him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they completely missed what God was doing. Look around you today. What's God doing in our world? What's God accomplishing around us? We hear so much about the bad news and the coronavirus and all the people that are infected and dying, but what's God doing in this situation? I think God's trying to wake us up. I think God's kind to help us see that things won't always be as they've always been, that it's time for change. Do you understand the Bible says judgment begins in the house of God? I sit around in an empty sanctuary, and I wonder... What's happening in the lives of people that I don't see two or three times a week anymore? How are their lives being affected? Are they being directed by God or are they being directed by what they hear on TV or the radio or the newspaper? Church, can I challenge you today? Look up. Recognize something is happening in this physical realm of spiritual nature. And recognize that God is on the move. God is not surprised by the things that are going on around us. God is not shocked by what's happening around the world. But rather, He's calling you and me to be voices, to be witnesses, to be ambassadors to the truth of Jesus Christ and His great love to those around us. A lot of people are afraid right now. A lot are worried. A lot don't know what tomorrow may hold. And that's okay. Because in that place of fear, we serve a God of peace. In that place of uncertainty, we serve the God of eternity. In that place of of defeat, we serve the God of victory. So take the message that never changes to folks that desperately need to hear. Jesus really is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what happened that day in Jerusalem really wasn't what was going on. What happened is God set in place for His kingdom to come about in the hearts of men and women across the world from that day forward. This day in Jerusalem years ago, Jerusalem received a new high priest. And the writer of Hebrews tells us he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's there waiting us to make a bold entrance into his throne room to receive the grace and the mercy he's already provided for you and for me. He's there waiting to set God's people free from the oppression of the enemy. He has already established a new covenant a new covenant by His blood offered by Jesus Christ Himself who liberates captives and establishes peace in the hearts of men and women. So years ago, they cried in the streets of Jerusalem, Hosanna, which we know means Lord save now. Hosanna, Lord save now. And they missed the whole implication and meaning of that event. They used the right words from the wrong spirit. But today, Can we use the right words from the right spirit? Would you just lift your eyes towards the heavens with me, and would you cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Lord, we pray, save now. If you're watching this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He has come to you right where you're at. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you're sitting in your living room. Maybe you're gathered around your computer, your television with your family. One of you never accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Right now, it's very easy, very simple. Because the Holy Spirit is there where you are. He's convicting and convincing you of your sin. And He's showing you there is a way. There is a Savior 
whose name is Jesus. So right now, if you've never accepted him, would you simply bow your head and pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Change my life. I ask that you make me a child of God. I ask that you help me live for you every day. Wash my sins away and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to someone beside you and tell them, I just accepted Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. My life's going to be different from this day forward because Jesus is the Lord of my life. And let him do what he wants to do in you. Church, I want to pray for you this morning as well. With all the uncertainty, all the fear, all the worry that's happening around us, it's time for you and I to understand our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Our hope is built on the eternal and sure promises of God that never fail. I love that song that Tom sang during worship. He never fails. He never loses. He never has and he never will. So church, don't despair. Don't be wringing your hands in anxiety, but lift up your heads and shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the Lord my God is your help and your strength. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the God who always brings his presence and his supply into your heart, into your home, and into your situations. This morning, we're going to receive communion as we conclude this service. And I ask you by email to have the elements ready. doesn't really matter what your elements look like. They don't have to be a neat little communion cup like this with a wafer and some grape juice in it. It may be an old saltine cracker or a crusty piece of bread. It doesn't matter. It may be Kool-Aid or cranberry juice, orange juice, or even water if necessary. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're using. What matters is the intent of the heart and the reason we choose to observe communion. We do this because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, we're remembering his death. We're remembering his sacrifice. We're remembering everything that he has done for us and provided for us through his wonderful and through his precious blood. So would you take your cracker, your piece of bread, your wafer, whatever you may have, and would you just hold it up with me this morning? Because this little element, this little wafer, represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. In just a few short days after Palm Sunday, the same crowds were crying, crucify him, crucify him. He was beaten, 39 stripes. His beard was pulled out. He was beaten with fists in his face. A crown of thorns was rammed upon his head. Blood flowed freely from his body. And the Bible tells us very clearly it's by his stripes we can claim and receive healing through Jesus Christ. Through his wounds, we are made whole. So if you're watching, you're a part of the service this morning, and there's a need in your life physically, you need Jesus to touch you, to make you whole, lift that wafer up and declare it with me. Jesus, I thank you for your broken body. Jesus, I thank you that because you suffered, I can be made whole. Thank you for the promise of healing that flows through your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, take that wafer with me. And then the Bible says, after the same manner, he took the cup. 
And he said to his disciples and to you and me, this cup is in the New Testament in my blood. Remember, a king came to establish a blood covenant. A king came to establish a blood covenant. So that once for all, the sins of man could be remitted through the blood of Jesus Christ. No longer would bulls and goats have to be slain. Jesus became that perfect sacrificial lamb. And as his blood flowed that day on Calvary, repentance, forgiveness, liberty flow yet today to you and me. So would you right now just lift the cup and declare with me, thank you for your precious blood. Thank you that you shed it willingly. You shed it freely. You could have stopped at any time. You'd have called the angels to destroy the Romans at any moment. But you chose to leak your life source for me. Thank you for dying for me that I may live. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Would you take that with me, please? This morning, we want to say it loud and clear. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.